You're listening to RPM, the podcast that explores the world of private markets. I'm your host, Graciela Scassillo, and today it is my pleasure to have here with me Ariel Goldblatt, partner, and Mark Zhang, managing director, both members of the private debt team. That will continue the discussion on market outlooks, this time for private debt market. Ariel, Mark, welcome to RPM. Thank you, Graziella, for having us. Yeah, thank you, Graziella. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Ahead of us, an eventful year, for sure. In our market outlook, you describe a landscape full of significant factors. We see uh, COVID variants increasing their presence all over the world, the raise of inflation rate, the implementation of interventions, so monetary and fiscal policies. So regarding private debt in particular, is there something positive we can expect in all of this? So yes, Graciela, um, I would say, you know, private debt has shown resilience throughout the recent COVID period, as well as during the great financial crisis. And what you'll see is that in both of these periods, private debt experienced significantly lower drawdowns relative to the public markets. For example, during COVID-19, direct lending experienced about a 5% drawdown versus 13 to 14% for the public high yield markets. You know, in addition, if you look over a long period of time, take from 2006 to 2020, you will see that private debt returns have been quite stable in the 8 to 10% return range. If you were to compare this to the public markets, you would see significantly higher fluctuations in returns. Lastly, the public markets today are relatively expensive due to unprecedented monetary and fiscal stimulus, as you mentioned above, and as a result, on a relative basis, the yield differential between private and public markets has never been higher, with private markets currently generating between three to 400 bips more in yield versus the public markets today. I mean, just to add also to, to Ariel's point, um, you know, private debt as an asset class has been, has been very positive. It provides solutions to, to companies that have been and will be impacted by the trends you described around inflation, uh, government intervention, monetary and fiscal policies. And what we see with opportunistic credit managers is that they're offering customized liquidity solutions to businesses, acting as essentially like collaborative capital to partner with them to help them um, trade through this kind of this period uh, in the cycle. Um, and, and what you see is, you know, for example, private debt capital can work with the companies to transition away from reliance on government loans, tax breaks, repayment holidays. And as a result of this, this creates investment opportunities uh, for the asset class. Thanks both. So as you may know, we are lucky enough to have listeners from all over the world. So maybe um, they would appreciate also some regional overviews, maybe dividing the world in macro areas and talk about the strategies adopted in private debt for each of them. Um, sure. I mean, um, just to provide a, a kind of, I guess, a framework, you know, comparing the private debt markets across US, Europe and, and, and Asia, a, an interesting way to look at it is to observe the market share um, of private debt versus banks in each of the regions. Uh, and that gives you a gauge kind of where where private debt is in the life cycle uh, for each of the regions. And so, for example, if you look at the US, um, you see private debt market share you know, roughly around 80%. And that compares against 50% in Europe and around 20% in Asia. Um, so you can see the US is a much more mature market when it comes to private debt. And if you kind of look at what happened during COVID impacting um, impacting the economies in, in early 2020, private debt reacted very quickly within the US markets. 
Um, and a lot of the debt funds with its capital were able to buy syndicated loans, high yield bonds at significant discounts. Um, that opportunity set traded away, but it, due to how the market is set up, they were able to take advantage of that. And to a certain extent, you know, Europe you know, did, did likewise, but not to the scale um, uh, undertaken in, in the US markets. Um, and as this was happening, the managers then started to see you know, there is an opportunity set here over the medium to long term where companies would be needing liquidity. So they quickly shifted towards fundraising. And what you see is a lot of new opportunistic funds being raised uh, parallel to a lot of the managers core direct lending strategies. And this opportunity set was further accentuated by banks pulling back their lending. Um, especially in the mid-market um, and looking to support more of their larger corporate clients. So this further pushed the market share towards debt funds away from banks. And then if you look on the ground um, with CEOs and management teams, um, what you're seeing is an increasing sophistication and awareness of private debt products. Um, and that is, again, reducing you know, the reliance historically on, on banks. And then if I, if I briefly then touch on Asia, Again, you know, similar dynamics in Asia where, um, you know, a shift towards private debt away from banks during COVID. And, you know, what you see in, in Asia was a little bit of bifurcation between Western markets and Asian markets, given the government's different approach to how to tackle COVID. Um, and given the zero COVID policy, you saw a slightly quicker economic recovery in, in China and Asia at the beginning of COVID. Um, and I think that stimulated some you know, thought process in investors where they were thinking, actually, maybe it's quite important to get some sort of geographic diversification uh, within our private debt portfolio. And hence, you know, a greater consideration about whether they should invest into Asia. Um, and so, again, this prompted um, more fundraising activity amongst Asian managers to have those conversations with with investors. Um, but again, you know, a lot of difficulty around stringent travel restrictions as a result of the COVID policy. So what you saw was capital um, migrating to larger brand names within Asia. Now, would you be so kind to introduce us to the current investment environment and to the different aspects compared to the pre-COVID one? Of course. Um, and what I'll do is I'll break this down into four categories. And the first category, which is most interesting, is pricing. And what we've seen is primary yields have largely gone back to pre-COVID levels. Yield compression continues, but it is less pronounced than in the public markets. And so what we've learned is that careful manager and strategy selection can counter yield compression by identifying niche strategies. The second area I will touch on is volumes. And now volumes have largely recovered from the COVID shock. However, there has been an increase in refinancing transactions as a result of a strong pickup in M&A. This has reduced the overall capital deployment in the market. The third metric I'll touch on is credit metrics. Now, there has been some deterioration in underwriting discipline, including on structure, covenants, borrower flexibility, which has been embedded in legal documentation. The trend is back to a borrower-friendly market. Um, and then the last metric I'll touch on is borrower fundamentals. Overall, what we've seen is a strong recovery in borrowers, and what we've seen also is low default rates. And now I'll pass it on to Mark. Uh, th thanks, Ariel. Um, yeah, I think you know from the from from the opportunistic 
um, credit side and, and kind of what the managers have been looking to invest in, you know, there's a few things that we see. One is, one is companies um, needing liquidity, um, you know, having been impacted uh, by COVID. So, you know, EBITDA is, is, is down and obviously, and then obviously as a re- result of that, cash, cash positions are, are down, you know, respective to the, the capital structure that's in place. Um, and then, you know, other areas are where companies maybe have a fundamentally been impacted uh, and that, you know, revenues and EBITDA are going to be low, uh, much lower than pre-COVID. And as a result, they need to reset their, their capital structure. Uh, and then you're seeing situations where there's disruption um, within a sector um, and you see uh, opportunities for consolidation and companies being able to take advantage uh, and acquire or by competitors, uh, all of this, you know, needing capital that that opportunistic uh, managers can provide, and you know, these trends, you know, very much you know, revolve around corporates and companies. But you know, what we observe in in this kind of COVID environment is that the need for liquidity extends beyond just corporates. Um, we see that banks need liquidity, GPs, um, private equity, and, and and private debt GPs. Uh, as well as LPs, you know, they're all looking for um, liquidity, and that could result in you know selling assets. And again, that that creates investment opportunities as well. Um, and you know, we we kind of anticipate uh, this environment to kind of persist at least for the next you know twelve to twenty four months. Yeah, moving now to the actual implementation of the investment, what would you suggest to navigate the transition? Yeah, so our key focus area continues to be first and foremost to focus on focus on diversification, not only to reduce concentration risk, but also to enhance deployment, income earned, and also to reduce reinvestment risk. The next thing we focus on is really being selective. Not all absolute yields will produce attractive risk-adjusted returns. And what, one thing that we always focus on on Steps on on Private Debt is deployment. Deployment is key. So strategies consistent with capital deployment are attractive, such as traditional senior lending. In addition, a multi-strategy and multi-GP approach can help maintain efficient capital deployment. In addition, use of co-investments and secondaries can also further enhance your deployment and diversification. And then lastly, I would say, maintain flexibility in terms of GPs, strategies, et cetera. In a more complex investment environment, flexibility really is key. Um, and I'd, I'd definitely like to reiterate, um, you know, Ariel's points around flexibility um, being key, and, and that's kind of the way the private debt um, platform at Stepstone is set up. Um, it's very relevant for for opportunistic strategies, and you know, the key part around flexibility is that we cannot predict for sure, you know, when market dislocations occur or when an opportunity set arises. So the platform is set up such that we can. Um, move our clients' capital towards opportunity sets as and when they arise. So say, for example, if there's a dislocation in, in public secondary markets, we have vehicles that can then deploy capital into that opportunity set. Um, for example, if banks suddenly uh, need to sell assets off their balance sheet, again, you know, we have vehicles and managers that can deploy into, into that opportunity set. And equally, uh, if we observe, you know, private equity needing additional capital to um, cure some of their uh, portfolio investments or to grow their portfolio investments, again, we have the ability to deploy into that. So I think kind of within opportunistic, having that flexibility that um, is really crucial to be able to um, anticipate opportunity sets when, when they arise. Thanks to both of you. Uh, thank you very much for having us, Gratiela. 
Ingrassia, it was really nice to be a part of this. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or wish to listen to any of our other market outlooks, please visit our show page at www.stepstonegroup.com. RPM is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh,